right. Welcome, everybody, to episode 60, I believe, of the Racing Line podcast. I'm joined tonight by Joey. How are you, Joey? Very well, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, tonight, we'll be discussing the final race of the Formula One season in Abu Dhabi. Um, if you haven't seen it, like usual, jump on your KO, watch the mini. Um, decent race for the final race of the season where pretty much nothing was at stake. Um, but Max Verstappen took out the took out the win. He's 15th of the season, which is massive. Uh, Charles Leclerc took out P2 in the championship and P2 in this race, and then Sergio Perez came third. So um, one of those races where not a lot happened, but it was it was pretty eventful as well. Joey, what do you think, mate? I thought it was a pretty interesting race, to be honest. Um, I actually stayed up to watch it, um, and I got through most Ooh. of it. Um, yeah, I was just I was I was excited to see sort of how the race panned out, mm. and I wanted to see the the whole Mercedes Ferrari battle happen, you know, live. Um, and I thought it was a, a especially the start of the race was a really entertaining race, and and even towards the end when there wasn't as much passing, the tire the tire strategy sort of battle was um, always interesting enough to keep it engaging. What do I think about the race? I think number one, we were sort of discussing last week and not last week, a couple of weeks ago about uh, would Max break the record and he has broken the record. You know, he's got 15 wins in a season, um, which is, you know, an amazing feat. And I would, now I would like to, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I'd like to go back and sort of make that into a percentage and see how that stacks up against, you know, the other other percentages out there from the other dominating seasons. But that's uh that's a amazing effort when you when you sort of sit back and think about it. It's what is it about seventy percent? Um, and I, I mm. shared a I shared a picture on our chat just probably an hour ago. It was um, Bernardo said. Um, we need to win the last 10 races of the season and I think we can do it. Uh, and not one of them was a red, was a red uh, horse uh, win. No. Um, the only one that wasn't a Red Bull was Russell last week. So yep. pretty, pretty dominant. dominant season. Red Bulls dominated the red horses, mate. Um, yeah. But yeah, other than that, I think the f- sort of the Ferrari uh, Mercedes battle looked interesting again and just in general the pace that the mercedes again showed even though it wasn't the fastest this weekend mm. like if if you were to see how far they've come over the year it's it's a it's it's been an amazing sort of uh turnaround and it sort of leaves you wanting next year to come you know really quick because they're there or thereabouts uh mm. and you know, given the right circumstances, we saw it last week and even we saw this week, they definitely have probably not as far to go to, to, you know, be within touching distance and with the extra R and D and wind tunnel time, they're the kind of team that you think, okay, this team can do it. Having said that Ferrari, who I've been doubting for the last couple of races consistently, you know, did what they needed to do. They secured second spot for Charles and they secured second spot in the team's championship. So kudos to them. And, um, you know, McLaren didn't finish ahead of Alpine, so I'm a happy man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thanks for your support there. Um, Yeah, look, I think uh, the Ferrari thing, 
in the second half of the season or second half of the second half of the season, they seem to make less mistakes. They seem to be more consistent with their strategy. Like you still got the stupid questions over the um over the radio to the drivers, asking the drivers, you know, what do you want, you know, plan B, plan C, plan Z, whatever. I think other teams do it, but it just it's just magnified more because it's Ferrari. And I think because they did have so many mistakes throughout the season, that was caught, you know, it, it drew attention to it more. Um, I think Carlos is a better um, engineer than his race engineer because he's always making the calls. But I think Charles needs to take a bit of leadership in that team too because he's always relying on the pit wall and just listening to them. Like you hear all the big, big names that are doing it. Max, Lewis, even George has started doing it at Mercedes, making the big calls in the car as well as working with the team, whereas Charles is just sort of, I'll do whatever you say. And I think that's been at the detriment to him at, at points this year. Um, but I definitely think that Ferrari have improved in the second half of the season. Mercedes were always going to improve. They're, they're an outstanding organisation. What was it, eight championships in a row or something? Like... Ridiculous, and I'm said it last week. I'm really pumped for 2023, and hopefully, we have three cars consistently fighting for the win. Hundred percent. Um, I heard something really interesting. Um, on the uh, post-race analysis show that the F1 puts on, and um, they were talking with Will about Buxton. with Will Buxton, and it was with um, he was talking to Jolie and Palmer. And uh, and Jolie and Palmer made a really good point. He said, after like this, after this year, there's going to be an engine freeze on the engines until 2025 or 2026 when the new engines come in. 26, um, yeah. So, what he was proposing was, did Ferrari um, leverage their reliability this year to find the absolute maximum that that engine can sort of run at? to be able to now maximize that for the, you know, the next couple of years to come, um, which in itself seems like a very interesting and sort of tactical proposition because like mm. leveraging one season against four in the future uh, doesn't seem like a, that big of a sacrifice if you get it right. Uh, so I'm really interested to see how that, like I'm interested to watch that going forward uh, and, you know, realistically, if they have success coming in the future, you know, no one will, no one will really remember the um, mistakes of mm. this year in the long run. Um, but a hundred percent of what you said about um, Charles taking ownership, I think we've said that a few times now um, it's, it seems to be his like probably the weakest part of his, of his mm. makeup, his arsenal. Uh, and I think when you, yeah, when you definitely look at the other drivers, he, he's, it's not that he's lackadaisical, but the way that he just totally relies on being fed the information and for the decisions to be made before him, like it's very much a, a second driver kind of mentality. Like even you look at someone like Nico Rosberg, who would, you'd say didn't have the skills that even Charles possessed, but he was still very demanding to his team when he knew he wanted something. And I think that's something that, uh, if you want to be a world champion, you definitely need it. Like we've discussed, discussed sort of many times how very dickish 
uh, max is. But yep. you know, if you're if you're you know X times world champion and you're a dick, you're still an X times world champion. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I mean, everyone, and it's it's actually funny because you know Seb Vettel. He, is has been lauded this weekend, you know, farewell, you know, everyone loves him. But I, I remember when he was in his reign, he was one of the biggest dicks on the grid. Um, oh, mate, all of Australia hated him for yeah, four I mean, or five like years. Just, even like just the grid. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and then and then after a couple, when, when you get brought down to earth, you know, become one of the people again, it's all fine. Um, but I think if you do want to get that run of championships going, you need to sort of, you know, develop a spine for yourself to mm. demand, you know, to demand more. Yeah, definitely. I think um, we, we're going to see a pretty epic battle next year. All I'm hoping. What did you think of? Um, what did you think? What did you think of uh, Seb's farewell? How do you feel about this whole? Um, Bon voyage. Um, yeah, look, I didn't mind it. The guy's a four-time world champion. Uh, he should be farewelled in, you know, that kind of way, I guess. Um, yeah, look, Seb's, Seb's had a massive turnaround, as we just said. Like, you know, most people hated him. Like, think back to even when he was still at Ferrari, the brake test on Lewis, like just dicky moves like that, you know. He was, he was prone to that kind of thing, but... He's kind of turned his image around, and I think that just stems from the fact that he's not fighting at the front anymore. Um, but yeah, look, I think Seb's been really like one of the. He'll go down statistically as one of the greatest of all time. I don't know if I would put him up there myself. I think he was in a really good car at a at, at the perfect time. Still think he's a great driver, but I just don't think he's at the level of say a Schumacher or. A, or a Lewis or even potentially a Max because we know Max can drive the wheels off, of off anything at this point. So, um, yeah, look, he's, he's going to leave a legacy in the sport. Whether we'll miss him on the grid, I think, to be honest, I know I'll miss Daniel more than, than Seb. I don't know how you feel about that, but, um, yeah, phenomenal career. I mean, I, I think, um, when you, if you stop to think about it, Daniel and Seb have become two of probably the the more interesting characters on the grid. Um, like Seb is is you know very um, you know jovial and, and he's he's quite a funny guy even in like interviews mm. and stuff. Um, and I think and and Daniel even more so. So I'm definitely interested to see um, pre and post race interviews, you know, just the, the meat, like I enjoy watching Seb and um, Daniel in the um, Thursday pre- uh, press conferences as well. So I'm interested to see how that feels. Um, I mean, Lando seems to be developing a, a, a quite che- uh, sort of, sort of cheeky jovial mm. personality as well, which is, I think is fantastic, but we'll see how that goes for me though. It's more, um, I always, uh, give uh, Seb shit for like sort of his always um, save the earth. Shot, like, oh, it's like when it's not one cause, it's something else every week. Um, and re- and whether you agree with that or disagree with that, my point is, uh, no matter what this what this weekend showed me is that he is he seems to have be such a top bloke that every 
every driver on the grid went to a farewell dinner for him. Mm. And that definitely, definitely uh, shows the kind of uh, character and, and yeah. figure you are in, in, in sort of your standing in the sport. And, okay, if you want to parade and, and, and champion causes, that's all well and good, but at least it's getting backed up by the fact that in the grid of the sport that you're partaking, the people in there see you sort of in the same light that you're then exuding mm. out of the sport, uh, which at least shows that you're not, he's not hypocritical. Like he's he's definitely sort of the caring guy that he wants um, people to see or he, he just not even he wants people to see, he just is. Mm. Um, so I think like for me, that's been the first time I've really stopped to think about that and sort of maybe just appreciate and respect that a bit more. Well, th- think about as well, like the, the average age of the drivers on the grid at the moment, it, they're pretty young. Like Max is 24, Lando's 23, 24, George is the same. They're all around mid-20s. They grew up watching Seb win all those yeah, world championships. So he's kind of like what Schumacher was to him, he's to them, if that makes sense. So did, yeah. did you think he, it was a nice touch? Keep going, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to cut no, you off. No, I was just going to say, like, he's – that's kind of the role that he should be playing, I guess, at that stage of his career. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not disagreeing. I just think, like, what you should be doing and then what you are doing are two totally yeah. different things. Yeah, um, I get that. I did like the tribute helmets from Alonso, mm. number one, and also young Mick. Um, I think it showed sort of the, the kind of touch that uh, older – Michael Schumacher played on Vettel and then what now the way mm. that Vettel plays a role in younger Mike Schumacher's career. The funny part was I didn't realise um, Alonso was running a tribute a tribute helmet and then I saw it and then I, I was and then it flashed away and I did a double take. I was like, what the fuck? And then I, I didn't even think they were that I did not think they were that, but obviously we don't know their relationships, but they've never seemed to be like I know Daniel and Seb are close. Yeah, I've never, I've never known them to be more than cordial. Yeah, um, I mean, and it could just be the fact that we've never seen it. That's um, right. But I th- yeah, I thought it was a nice touch. And and by rights, like you forget that he's a four-time world champion, which mm. there isn't many of them. What is it? Four, maybe four or five. Fangio, oh, Schumacher, Hamilton, Prost, uh, Prost, and then Seb. And Seb, yeah, because Lauda got three, Senna got three, Brabham three. Yeah, a lot of them got three. There's, there's five. So there's yeah. only five. He's he's in very, very high esteem, and it's just the fact that it was all, you know, stacked early on his, in his career. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I thought kudos to him, and mm. I don't know if he'll be missed yet. Um, I've been championing the fact to get the older drivers out for probably two years now anyway. But um, it was nice to see him go out in the points. And, you know, as a team, I think we'll probably touch on this later on in in the um, probably in another pod when we sort of reflect on the season in general. I think if you look as a team, Aston Martin over the second half of the year, slowly, mm. like, very quietly, um develop that car to be probably one of the better of the back midfield by mm. the time the end of the season comes around, especially when you look at how this this race ended. 
if Hamilton didn't have his problem, it would have been the 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 top five car like teams were all you know teammate 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 teammate. There wasn't um, more than five teams in the top ten. So, no. um, very interesting. It's like I want to go through the stats and then start looking looking into it. Because I think yeah. we never gave them the credit for turning it around. We sort of just shitted them at the start of the year and never noticed what happened after that. Yeah, I think I think Seb's performance in the second half of the season has been far superior than Lance's. Like Lance's got a, some statistic. Like I think he's finished tenth ten times this year or something. Like he's consistently around that nine to twelve or thirteen. But Seb's been getting in those higher eights, sevenths a few times this season. And I think that just shows that the, the disparity between the two, um, wrong considering race to, that wrong race, wrong race to bring this stat up considering Lance beat him today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause he had a better strategy today, but um, yeah, look, Lance, you know, he's, he's been pretty quiet. He's been quietly going about his business. Hasn't been doing anything silly lately. So maybe, you know, he's turning a corner as well, getting more comfortable in the car, but um yeah, I wanted to ask you, mate, about um, you know our, our boy Daniel Ricciardo. We're going to have Oscar on the grid next year, which is good, you know, for for the Aussies. Um, it's always good to have at least one on there. But Danny Rick, all but confirmed to be the Red Bull reserve driver or whatever his role is going to be. I've read a couple of things today, watched a couple of videos today on YouTube that um, it's not going to be. He won't be there every race. I think it's seven or eight races across the season. And they're saying it's probably going to be the North American races, Australia, you know, those mar- those ones where he's really marketable and Red Bull can use his image to, um, I guess. I some yeah. Yeah. Publicity. But the correct, I guess what I want to know from you is what do you think about the move and does it set him up for, can you foresee some sort of seat in 2024 from this kind of move? Uh, no, I can't see an, it. I can't see it leading to anything great unless the, um, there's a, there becomes a pro, uh, actual problem between Checo and Max and Red Bull have no suitable reserve drivers to fill the void. Mm-hmm. Anything bar that happening, I don't see why. Like, it doesn't it, like say what happened this year happens next year. Red Bull win the championship and win the constructors' championship. Like, why on earth would they change it for no apparent reason? Um, so, like for me, that's that's the thinking behind it. I think for for from listening to um, that, and this is of course if after next year. Uh, Danny Rick decides that he doesn't want to go to a backmarking team. Like if he decides, mm. I, I just want to get into any car. Yeah, that changes the changes the the circumstances completely. Um, but if he does want to push for a, a, a you know a winning seat, I don't see it really adding up to anything. What I do see it as is him making the best of a year that he wants to. He seems that he also wants a break in because. Mm. He's probably. I think he's had a season from hell if you think about it, uh, and he sound, he definitely sounds like he had an offers on the table that he didn't take because well, uh, Haas pretty much said 
that they were willing to offer him a contract if he wanted it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you'd rather you'd rather Danny Rick over Nico Hulkenberg, right? I, I would I would think so. So yeah. um, like for me, he's definitely made a decision that he wants either a top seat or a break. <laughs> How it turns out, I mean, it's anyone's guess. Like this is Formula One, but realistically, unless he he doesn't want to go into a back marking team, I think this is probably farewell from mm. Formula One, which is somewhat sad. Uh, but like realistically, these guys, you know, the the, it, the lifestyle of an F1 driver is getting harder and harder. You 100%. know, there's like like the commitments, the amount of races, you know, the having to maintain a, a marketable image constantly, social media. So, you, you know, you, you always have to worry about people filming you, just the never ending the demand of it. Uh, like I heard something crazy. It was even on race day, I think it's only 90 minutes before the race that the drivers actually get time to prepare. So it's mm-hmm. up to that. And, it's, and that's like in the afternoon. So up to that from eight o'clock in the morning, when they get to the track, it's all team strategies, team meetings and uh, sponsorships, uh, deals and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so like it is a hectic life. And if, if the season is going to 24 races, whatever it is next year, which is pretty much half a year, mm. not including testing, not including, including travel, maybe he just like, you know what, I'm tapping out, you know, I've got a good bag from Mercedes the last couple of years. I live in Monaco. I've got, you know, no tax to worry about, you know, let's just go and enjoy life. It doesn't seem like a bad idea to me really. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I do think, there are some rumblings within Red Bull about Sergio Perez and Max's relationship. I think that kind of came to light last week. And I'm not saying it's anything major that's going to cause any issues next year. But if it is a close championship fight, tensions run high. I'm not saying Danny Rick's in line for that spot because who knows what Red Bull would do. But maybe that's his thinking. I don't know. Um, Christian Horner. In his interview, he was saying Daniel's one of the best he's ever worked with, like all this kind of stuff. So he's got some – I think he's got options. I think that up and down the grid, they're aware that the guy's still pretty good. At the end of the day, it's just he didn't job with the car. His reputation's definitely taken a massive hit, but I still think that there are many up and down the grid that are willing to give the guy a shot. So I will, I will say this. If Yuki Sonoda at the start of next year – starts looking like a liability. That is one way I would definitely think he could come in quicker if he wanted to, if he's, you know, feeling, you know, the itch to get out there because of all the drivers on the grid, I think for next year, he has got the, he's going to be on the burner something hard. And, And if Red Bull decide that they need, you know, a better driver in that car, I can't think of them having another driver to put in unless they could get Danny Rick in there. Yep. You know what else would be a good option for him in the future? Sauber. Yeah. Taking Joe, Joe, like I I don't imagine Joe's going to hang around for long. Like he hasn't done anything bad. He's kind of like a Remy Gardner, right? He's done nothing amazing, but he's done nothing. He's just kind of been there. Yeah. Having to. It has been, it has been his, like, I'll give Joe one more year, like complete year. Like, but we've mm-hmm. seen, this has been uh, Sonoda's second year. 
mm. and yeah, he, is it his second year or third year? Second year? Second. Or third year. Okay, well, so next year's the start of his third year. Like, we've seen sort of a, a dip, a trough, another, you know, we've seen a, a dip, a trough, a dip, a trough, and then, you know, another dip. Um, so, um, you know, I just got that wrong because dips and troughs are, are the same thing. Uh, high and, yeah, highs and, and lows. Yeah, we've seen yeah. peaks and troughs. So we've, we've seen him very peaky and troughy. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but he's, he's, he's ended the season, I think, really bad. Uh, and and like we were saying last week, I don't see Red Bull having a, a loyalty or allegiance to him anymore because of mm. the you know the Honda, the Honda deal and Honda money sort of subsiding quickly. Uh, in in so his defence though, the car's been pretty shite. Like Gasly hasn't performed well either. Yeah, that's definitely true. I just think Gasly seems to perform better and just looks mm. looks better. Like this weekend was probably the, the last two weekends were the best I've seen Sonoda in probably more than half a year. Mm. Um, so I don't know. Like that's, that's where the sort of, um, I think it could get interesting. But I guess the biggest thing for me is him from the grid. You've lost, like you said, Seb, two of the, kind of bigger characters from the grid next year. I don't know. Like, I know that's not the be-all and end-all. We're here for the racing at the end of the day, but it, it does add a little bit more to it. Um, it brings the fans in, all that kind of stuff. So it would just be really interesting to watch and see how Formula One recovers from two pretty big losses from the grid that they've had there for the last, what, 10 years at least, the both of them. So Yeah, I think... I think you'll um, bounce back pretty quickly, but I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I've got a question for you now, though, mate. Let's go. So this week we have seen, or over the last week and a half, we have seen pretty much. And I'm not going to pretend I understand crypto or Bitcoin here, but we've seen <laughs> uh, one of the bigger market players in the whole, you know, crypto Bitcoin space. Uh, pretty much go from billions to bankruptcy uh, in the blink of an eye. And this um, company being uh, FTX is also mm-hmm. uh, one of uh, Mercedes, you know, pretty decent sponsors. Like they, they've got quite good, albeit not, you know, title branding on the car. Um, you know, it's a company that's been backed in Super Bowl commercials by Tom Brady, you know, it's, uh, Steph Curry was the main sponsor of the Miami Grand Prix this year. Um, you know, it's, it's got sponsorship naming rights on it. Uh, and then it's it spent crazy money in esports as well. And um, like realistically, they've gone from, you know, being a, a name that came out of nowhere and, you know, he's on a Formula One car to nothing. What do you think about when it comes to, sponsorship and the role of sponsorship in, in, you know, the motorsport landscape, like, is there um, a cause for concern with, you know, um, Formula One teams taking on sponsors from, you know, so let's say uh, crypt, all these crypto companies that none of the 10 teams have partnerships with. And then is, is there a moral or a, a sort of moral dilemma if the, you know, the, the sponsor itself seems to got me going under and is taking a lot of, you know, customer, you know, actual customer mm. invested money um, due to negligence and being, you know, somewhat um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Corrupt in, in its dealings as well. Mm. Well, firstly, kudos to Mercedes for removing FTX for, as a sponsor, um, mm. which only happened, I think, last week, which is a pretty pretty good thing for them. And they're one of the teams that can probably cut a sponsor. They don't need the money. It. But, yeah. Um, in terms of the, the ethics of all these kinds of sponsors, um, yeah, look, that's a tough question. That's... Motorsport, as we know, is expensive, um, especially Formula One. That is traveling all around the world, what did we say, 22 races this year. So they've been to 22 different destinations, um, you know, moving a whole heap of, you know, your motorhomes and your cars and hospitality suites and all that sort of stuff. So it is very expensive. If the companies are willing to pay the teams, they're going to take the money. And I understand what you're saying. You know, for customers like for us, as um, I'm, 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 know, I'm playing devil's advocate. I don't hmm. agree or disagree. But for it is, I think it is a question that is worth discussing because realistically, you are putting a company out there that, yep. um, without doing any due diligence into the actual, you know, background of the company and if you are then putting it forward and, and, and sort of what you're doing is offering it legitimacy, which then your own fans could hypothetically invest in a company that is pretty much stealing money from its customer mm. base in some kind of scheme, which is sort of these ideas that have been leveled against FTX. Um, you can like kind of hear it. Yeah. You hear it about like, all of them. Yeah, hundred like well, crypto is not really it's not regulated, and that's the and that's what they say is sort of like the draw card to it. But like we have regulation on on betting companies on alcohol, like Formula Formula One itself has a new main, like a major sponsor, which is Aramco, which is mm. a massive oil company. At the same time, they're saying they want to be running on you know clean fuel by twenty twenty six or whatever it is. So it's always going to be contagious because as a, as a circus and as a sport, you're always, you're always looking to find more money to, you know, then spend it making the product better. Mm. Um, but like we've, like we've seen before uh, teams not able to run alcoholic sponsors in certain countries. Um, we had the whole rich energy kind of debacle with Haas not too long ago either. And for me, I'm of the mindset that as long as it, you can market the sponsor to the younger generation of, of people watching your show, like kids are watching it. So, you know, you can't put you know, put porn on the, on the cars or anything like that. Although we've seen, we've seen a few things in the, in the past, but like realistically, as long as it's um, respectful and, and um, somewhat classy, I'm open season for sponsors. Like take what you can get for me. Like that's, mm. that's my kind of mantra. Cause I know that motorsport is ridiculously expensive, but for the everyday Joe, maybe they don't know that, or maybe they just don't understand how expensive it is. Yeah, I and guess. When- mm. I guess it's hard because you and I, before we, blindly looked at a, you know, invested in something, we'd do our research, we'd do. And that's not the, that's not the case for everyone. Right. So, yeah, I guess 
it, morally, these F1 teams are parading these companies around. Like I was just looking, McLaren has two crypto sponsors on their car. Ferrari has one. Red Bull has one. Mercedes had one. Um, Alfa Romeo's got one. Alpine, Alfa Tauri, Aston Martin. The only two, and now they're saying Haas. I don't know if anything's changed since this article because you're saying Williams is the only team not to. Well, Haas has just signed one in the last couple of weeks for next year. Um, okay. So Williams I- is the only one that doesn't have one, and, and Williams could be the fact that they're shit. Like that's probably the, could be the only reason why they haven't got one. Well, um, they haven't got a lot of sponsorships. Full stop. Right. That's that's right. So, um, but like for me, the, the mid-table teams, I can see why they would have them on there more so than the big teams. And I'm not I'm not here to to I'm not a crypto hater. I don't. I, I'm happy to yeah. see them. You know, all be on there. Like I thought it was somewhat funny that once one jumped on, they all jumped on. It was like a, mm. a fad thing, but it does lend legitimate legitimacy to sponsors when they're on a Formula One car. It's just you don't expect companies that are so um, sort of attuned to like the risk. Like there's so much risk in crypto. It's pretty much just playing. Um, it's it's like game. It's pretty much like gambling uh, in terms of like how volatile it is and then mm-hmm. it's being uh, paraded on a formula one car so like even the teams depending on if they pay money up front or they're paying it in installments like the sponsors themselves the teams can also be at a problem because say in another one of these companies goes under uh are mm-hmm. you left high and dry with certain money sort of like what the rich energy thing happened so you know it is a in, it's a very interesting dilemma and problem to have for, for, for not even just for one, just for all sports. If you're relying on money from a very, such a volatile source, it's not like a bricks and mortar company. It's not an alcoholic beverage company. It's Bitcoin and the blockchain, which 99% of the world doesn't understand about anyway, even if they're getting involved in it. Yeah. And I think, I think drawing the comparison with the rich energy thing, um, once he pulled out, the what they were left with, massive amounts of money owed and all that kind of stuff. And it'd be interesting to know, and obviously we probably won't know um, the percentage of what, if, if the teams have actually been paid for their spot, like their sponsorship deals from these companies. Um, I'm looking at Ferraris, like Ferraris is a, is a pretty prominent one. Like it's Vilas. And I think I'm pretty sure that's on the back of the wing or something. Like it's a pretty, mm. pretty prominent sponsor. Um, you know, a lot of the other and ones Ferrari, just take little, yeah. And Ferrari's car is very, really, very clean. So you see it even more. Like they've got few sponsors, but they're very prominent. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a it is an interesting sort of problem to have. Like if you look at a company like Red Bull before mm. they got involved in Formula One and motorsport and extreme sports, like that's what's lent them. The, legitim- le- the legitimacy to now become one of the biggest brands in the world. Mm. And it was all through that, that marketing of themselves as sort of in like an elite sport kind of, you know, drink. Same thing as monster energy. Like it's, it's happened for them. So like even like alcohols, we've seen them so like in any sort of motorsport that come in and then you build up a recognition and it really sticks with you. 
So mm. the same thing definitely could happen with crypto. And for me as well, when I was looking at dabbling in crypto, I only was interested in dabbling on the in the brands that were on Formula One cars because I like just subconsciously I think they like these are these must be you know super secure companies. Um, and this has sort of been a rude awakening that yeah, but it's crypto. That's not really the case. Mm. Um, so I just wanted yeah. to have your thoughts because I th- I thought man, this is. A, a good topic to have at the end of the season when there's not much going on. Yeah. I, I really can't because it, it is such a new thing. And formula one did go all in at the start of the season. They started selling off NFTs, which I still don't totally understand, don't understand. what an NFTs, um, you know, and all the teams, as we said, have got sponsorships. It, it's really hard for such a new sort of industry to come in with all this money and, and for us to, to actually know what they do. Do you know what I mean? Like, have you ever yeah. seen a rich energy can? I have because um, in real life I haven't, mm. but I know that the company still exists because I've seen them sponsoring other stuff in British superbikes and they, especially in England, they seem to be a real thing um, and they still exist. So but having said that, there was also a moment this year when the old that story guy was talking about them pulling their funding for the British Superbikes team, and then the actual company had to come out and say whatever he says. Like, I had to make an official announcement saying like what he says is is bullshit, um, and we're and we're honouring our sponsorships till the end of the year. So it's like stuff like that is somewhat humorous still and hilarious. Yeah, um, I, it, it's really. It's really difficult to wrap my head around all these deals that these Formula One teams do because you just don't you, you don't know the inner workings of the deals. You don't know, you know, the the background. Like who's to say that the teams really care? Like they probably they just want the money, like at the end of the day. I was saying I don't I don't expect them to care. Like really, I don't think it's on the teams to make the policies for sponsorship. I don't know if you, if we even need policies for sponsorship. Mm. I just think, and, and, and having said that as well, I think Formula One is in no way to make a policy on sponsorship because when you think about the, like the contradiction of like that they make about, you know, being uh, like uh, super inclusive at the same time as having sponsorship from, from, you know, uh, a country like Saudi Arabia, which, is definitely not inclusive and I'm not even getting political. Like for me, it's like, all right, make it like, we know you need, like as a sport, we need money. Just come out and say that, you know, from the start and everyone will understand. I don't think people need to look for politics in sport. That's my personal opinion. So just say it, but if you're going to pretend or you're going to put policies into sport, then you have to have discernment for your sponsorship. Like you sort of mm-hmm. give yourself no choice. So either make it, you have to make a decision one way or the other. So we're just going to take money because we need it to run this circus. And, and then we're like, all right, I understand if it hurts my moral compass, I'll watch something else. Or we're going to run by our moral compass. Then, all right, let's get rid of the Aramco sponsorships. Let's, you know, get out of, you know, these, the countries that in terms of, how you like foresee your policy, policy politics that you want to exude, get out of those countries, which you're definitely not going to do. Um, 
start monitoring sponsorship of, mm. you know, shady companies that are, you're going to put your own fans in, like, on their eyes so then they can hypothetically go and lose money in investments that for the company that's um, shady. Like these are things that if you're going to play by those rules, you then have to think about much more deeply when these problems arise. Yeah. I've never actually thought of, and I don't know, I just see a sticker on a car and it doesn't really register anything, but I've never really thought of fans seeing a company on the side of a Formula One car and then going and throwing their money at it like like a crypto. And it is, when you think of it that way, it is pretty dangerous, the amount of money that could be getting lost. Like it's actually, it's thrown me. Think about betting companies. Like if you just think about watching Mm. the footy on Friday, like you are constantly getting bombarded with betting companies and it's usually the same ones. And when you want to track a bet, there's like four or five of them in your head without even thinking about it. Same thing now with crypto. If you wanted to get into it without even knowing about it, you know that there's crypto.com, Tezos, you go FTX, like every one of those teams, that's nine varieties that have invested in the sport that if you wanted to, straight away without thinking that's there. Mm. You know what I mean? And and yeah, we, I don't think about it either until now when I actually stopped and thought about it. Yeah, that's right. But I, for, like for me, like if you want to grandstand on policy, on, on politics and policies, you know, you have to then make the effort to, you know, do it on everything. It's not just give and take. But, yeah, the fact that we're going to Qatar next year as well as Bahrain, as well as Abu Dhabi, as well as all these places, Formula One don't care. Formula One's just there. I don't, they, they want the money. I don't I don't care if they don't care. Like, for me, I don't care if they don't care. You just I, want consistency. I, I just want consistency. If you if you just want to go there and they, they're paying you good money to do it, that's mm. fine. Just say it. Don't yep. pretend that, you know, you, you're on, on, like when you're in Miami, you're all about, you know, liberation. And then when you go to South Saudi America, you don't say jack shit and your yep. own drivers are then, you know, pro, doing the protest for you, but you're sort of trying to silence them. Like that's the consistency as a sport. It has to be either brave enough to go one way or just tell us. That's my yeah. um, bigger point. Yep. Yeah, mate, makes sense. I, and as I said, I'm not um, I'm not across all the all the intricacies of all the politics within Formula One, and we know that Formula One is a massively political sport. But yeah, it is an interesting thought, definitely, because yeah, there's a lot of them out there now, and now that they're starting to collapse, I think we could see something come from this. So interesting, it could be interesting. I think Formula One is of the mindset that if it doesn't make dollars, it don't make sense. And I'm happy for them to be of that mindset. Just tell us, you know? 100%. And Liberty Media is all about the money, so that's fine. I think we've just got to read between the lines. But um, I think we'll leave it there, mate. Um, I think so. Everyone, thanks for for listening. We will be back in the next couple of weeks for a – end of year wrap we'll also have the final race of the supercars to review which is in adelaide um can't wait so yeah two two more episodes for 2022 before a banging new season starts in 2023 we'll do it as i said we'll do a full-on review like we did last year of our 
favorite moments of the season, favorite helmets, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and see out the, the supercar season. But Joey, mate, thanks for jumping on. Thank you very much, mate. Always a pleasure. And everyone, keep liking, subscribing. You know, the YouTube views are going up, which is great to see. Joey's starting to break the videos up in really small chunks, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, like, subscribe, give us a, a shout out, all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. See you guys. See you guys. Have a good week.